Hello and welcome to another episode of Executive Learning Rewired, the show that shares the intelligence and the insights driving the evolution of corporate learning. I am your host, Bevan Reese, and as always, this episode is sponsored by Headspring, specialists in customized executive development for a digital age. My guest today is Beth Davies, former director of learning at Tesla, HR and learning consultant, and host of the extremely popular Career Curves podcast. Beth, welcome to Executive Learning Rewired. I am so happy to be with you, Bevan. Thanks for inviting me. No, my pleasure. And so great to have you on the show, Beth. And I saw yesterday, was was it 10,000 podcast downloads of Career Curves? Uh, we hit that number recently and I checked and we're you know, now at least 100 more. So uh, congratulations. Uh, we have, yeah, we hit the 10,000 mark and that was, that was a, a, a really big milestone for us. So thank you. No, fantastic. So, so first of all, I, I love your show. Um, I love the stories that, that emerge from the show. These retrospectives of careers are just, they're so illuminating in so many ways, and it's amazing how transferable the lessons are. So I thought perhaps for today's call, we could, we could do a Beth Davies on a Beth Davies and start from here and move back across the, the track of your career, but and, and kind of see what got you here and distill some of the lessons that emerge. What do you think? I think that sounds terrific. So, I mean, uh, podcast host, I mean, is this something that you saw in your horizon 15, 20 years ago? Oh, which is a very funny question. Uh, and I love it because in podcast host didn't exist 15 or 20 years ago, yeah. which is probably like career lesson number one for anybody, which is don't lock yourself in, in the early stages of your career to what you're going to do forever, because the world is changing so fast that there are going to be jobs 20 years from now that we don't know about today. Mm. And I wish I could elaborate on that, except we don't know what they are. So I can't really say more about what I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but I do know 15 or 20 years ago, podcast host didn't exist. And how I got here was I spent my career in corporate learning and development. I actually studied to be a lawyer, very quickly discovered that was not what I wanted to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, really realized I wanted to be doing something that helped people more, that mm. was more proactive, and then got into human resources and in particular learning and development. For me, learning and development, the part that really motivated me was really about helping individuals. And over the years, learning and development evolved to be organizational development and much more about the organization and less about the individual. Mm -hmm. So when I left my last job, which was um, leading learning at Tesla, and was really thinking about what I wanted to do next, I kept going back to the internal voice inside of me that said, the individual, the individual, you really care about the individual. And I just kept thinking, how can I reach out to individuals, give them some new ways of thinking, inspire them, and this led to doing a podcast. And then it became, all right, well, what is the topic? And what I really saw there is that particularly people junior in their career, think about their career and what's in front of them in a very linear way. Like I need to plan my career path. Mm -hmm. Yet when I talk to people who are further in their careers and do the retrospective, like you said, you really find that these paths are anything but straight and linear. They're very curvy. And I thought, wouldn't it really help people who are earlier in their careers to hear some of these true stories and to hear how people have built real careers so that they can be inspired by them? and um, find more possibilities where they're instead feeling stuck. So that's kind of how I got where I am. 
Hence the, the name Career Curves. I'm, I'm hearing exactly. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so, so I like that. That's clarified it a lot more for me. So you described that career planning, the, the path planning, Beth. I mean, that's not unconventional, right? I mean, this is, this is still very common in most large organizations, isn't it? It's very common. And, you know, if I had the power to break that paradigm, I would. Here's my problem with the paradigm of, of a career path. The idea that it's linear means that if I somehow step off the path, I now have done something wrong or I'm failing. Mm. And as soon as people start to feel like they are failing, they aren't coming from a point of strength to make their next move. Mm. Whereas if people better understood that curves twist and turn and curve, and that's normal and that's natural, then when you identify that you're in a curve, you don't feel like you're failing. You instead feel like you're normal. <laughs> and being normal is a much more powerful place to come from because then you can say, all right, I'm normal. Now what do I do? What do I do next? And so I'd love to break that paradigm. There's one other reason too why I don't like career paths, which is oftentimes when a company creates a career path and they say, okay, if you want to be X in the future, let's look at people who are currently at X. Let's see what moves they made to get here. And that's your path. The problem is that that's the path they took before the world changed. And I say that before the world changed, not just because of COVID, which we're in right now, but because the world changes all the time. And so the fact that somebody took these six steps to get where they are doesn't mean that those six steps exist today, don't mean that those are the right six steps anymore. And so the idea of a career path just isn't realistic for the current day, as well as I don't think it sets people up for, for success. Yeah. I mean, it, are we talking about differences of personality here, though, Beth? I mean, for some people, having that sense of a linear path is comforting, right? I mean, it gives you this idea that everything's been mapped out. Yeah, things might change a bit, but for the most part, you know where you're going, you know what to do to get there, and you can just put your head down and go. You know, is there some people are just naturally more born for that kind of perspective and others aren't? Or is it just ones more established and that's what we do because that's what we do and it hasn't really been challenged much as a convention? That's such a great question, Bevan. And I think you're right. In fact, I know you're right, that there are people who like the comfort of a plan and a clear-cut plan. And I would say that's okay, right? I'm all about saying whoever you are and how you are is okay, right? And, and it's a great place to be and, and work from there. What I would say, though, is that there are some ways of thinking as a planner that may cause you to be stuck. And so you need to recognize that. And so if you are that planner, plan a couple of steps and maybe have a long-term goal that can allow for options. But then at the same time, recognize that you may need to pivot and step off the exact path that you planned. So stay open to that possibility. I want to go back for a moment to what I just said about having a goal that has some breath to it. Mm. And it makes me think about one of the test interviews that I did a long time ago, I interviewed a friend of mine before we launched the podcast, a guy named Bill Auerbach. And he wanted to be a comedian. He wanted to be a performer. And he had as his goal being on Saturday Night Live, right? That quintessential television show that has now been around, what, since 1975. But he had this idea, right, that he wanted to be a comedian. And when he thought about it as a young man, 
that's kind of the only way he saw comedic performers, right? As stand-up comedy, Saturday Night Live, something like that. As he started to take courses in comedy and he started to actually understand the field and learn about the field, he actually got into ways that he could use comedy for youth education. And he would stand up in front of a group of students and he would be entertaining and educating them at the same time. And had this moment where he realized, I am a professional comedian, not necessarily in the way I first thought, but I'm making my living as a comedian, but in a way I never knew existed when I started. And so that's what I mean about this idea of having breadth and how you think about your field. So making money using comedy created many more opportunities for him than thinking, I want to be a comedian on Saturday Night Live. Mm. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities for us to do that. Even now, sometimes I think for myself that I'm not doing learning and development anymore, that I left behind what I did for 20 years. And the truth is I haven't. I've just, I'm just now doing it in a new way. There's no doubt that everything I know about the corporate world and HR and people and learning informs the questions I ask and informs the editing I do of the podcast. It's just different. So it's okay if you like to have steps and plans, but just try to create it in a way that gives you flexibility. That's such a great way to relate that point, Beth, and especially that story you shared, which is which is fantastic. You know, there are two things that stand out for me. One is this sense of a capacity. You say it's it's important, it's fine to have a career path and to plan it, but to have flexibility. But flexibility and adaptability in the sense of the way you're talking there about a perspective, which is being able to see wider than what's in front of you and then the ability to pivot and make decisions. So that adaptability, that flexibility is almost a capacity available. Do some people just naturally have more of that to begin with? And if they don't, is it something that can be trained? I definitely think it can be trained. Because what we're talking about a bit is being able to recognize when you're reaching a plateau and therefore need to make a change. So oftentimes when I'm thinking about career curves, I think about an S and an S curve. And that when you're early in a career and you're just learning the new things about the job, the company, you're at a lower end of an S. Right? Then you start to hit your stride. You've got the skills, you know the culture, you know your role, and you start to really make impact in an organization. At some point, though, it's common, again, very normal, that we start to plateau in a particular job. And those plateaus can be because we're getting bored. The plateaus may be because we are doing things the way we've been doing them and we're not learning anymore. And so maybe there's some new technology that we should have been learning and we've been resisting, or maybe we're not building new relationships because we've gotten comfortable with our existing relationships, but we start to plateau. And we need to recognize those plateaus so that we can take control of our career and accelerate ourselves into another kind of upward trajectory, you know, to make an impact. And so when we try to think about like, how can we recognize that we're at a plateau, it's things like recognizing our work doesn't connect to the mission or the goals of the company as much anymore, mm. or that we're no longer improving speed or efficiency or making um, money for the company. So again, our impact is waning. But also, too, on some very personal levels, we aren't learning anymore. We're not thriving anymore. We're doing a lot of busy work, but don't feel like we're accomplishing, right? These are signs that our impact is waning and that it's time for us to say, 
Let me lift up my head and figure out what's next and how can I proactively make a move before I actually start to kind of shrivel up and die on the vine. (laughs) That lifting of the head, Beth. I mean, there there are two aspects to that. One is realizing where you're at and there are many, as you suggest, many clues, many symptoms that you've plateaued. Then there's this kind of this call to answer about what do you do about it? You know, am I hearing that what you do about and how you respond to that is largely down to a mindset, how you view your current situation? Is it something that you're kind of stuck in or is it something that you can change once you step into it? You just used one of my favorite words, which is which is mindset, because we can have skills and we can have knowledge. And if you think of these as a you know three-part Venn diagram, oftentimes people only look at skills and knowledge. But mindset and how you're wired is that third element. And all three of those together are really the power equation. And I would even say mindset, the most powerful. And so when we think about mindset and how to create a successful career with mindset, I know one of the most popular things people are talking about now is having a growth mindset. I struggle a little bit with that idea Mm -hmm. because it seems a bit binary. I either have it or I don't. And it doesn't, for me, activate me enough. And so I've started to think a little bit more of, is there a Another way of thinking about a growth mindset that actually couples it with action, because your career is a set of actions. Mm -hmm. And is it better maybe for us to think about an evolutionary mindset? Mm -hmm. So how do I keep evolving as a human being? How do I keep evolving in my career? And so if we can recognize that we're at a plateau and then start to say, all right, I have to evolve for this next move, that's a mindset that may be more, again, I'll use the word activating than growth mindset. Although growth mindset would be then, of course, a part of this. I, I love that that idea of an evolutionary mindset. I don't know, it has the sense to me of a consistent call to move towards something, a form of yourself that is greater, more developed, possibly wiser, deeper and broader than the current version today. And I love the way that you just described it and encapsulated it because again it can be a very motivating idea i just today released the latest episode of my podcast my guest is a gentleman named greg stern who after a long rich career in advertising that had a lot of evolving within advertising he just took on the role of ceo of a nonprofit performing arts group called sf jazz And it's this idea of taking music, which had been a passion of his for all his life, along with all of these leadership skills and everything else that he's grown and going in a whole new direction. And the idea that at this stage of his life, doing something completely new could be scary and threatening, but instead it's the evolution, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the, how does he take everything that he's known and done and evolve it and couple it with something else in his life that he's passionate about and further enriching his life and further giving back and contributing to others. And when we can think about for all of us evolving in that kind of a way, that's pretty powerful and pretty exciting. Mm. And why wouldn't we want to do that? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you totally change the perspective, don't you? I mean, it changes the relationship with fear, changes the relationship with the unknown, the uncertain. I was having this similar conversation with a friend of mine. 
just this week and we were talking about how much of the unknown and the uncertainty has just been opened up for everyone over the last six, seven months. And there's a whole spectrum of uncertainty that people are dealing with. And this goes to the extreme, as we all know. And some have had less of that uncertainty, but nobody's been left untouched. And what we were asking each other was, are some people just going to be better at handling this than others? And I think that is true to a degree. Whereas are other people learning that within the uncertain, there's opportunity to move into? And that's also true. But there are also a lot of people who are quite understandably paralyzed. Beth, from your point of view, that paralysis that one can get into, is that a symptom that you can see in career development? Are there times when people just get to the sense, or even let's stick with the COVID example. There are people who might be listening to this or the people who are listening to this will know someone else who has had their career put on hold in some way or another. And that's obviously very scary. And in that place of fear, it's difficult to adopt progressive mindsets, like an evolutionary mindset. What are your suggestions on kind of the first steps? I mean, the, the dealing with the now, the tips that get you from that place into a more positive, progressive, evolutionary mindset? It's a great question. What I would recommend is to think about next. Just that. Mm. What is my right next move? The paralysis is when we start to then evaluate, is that next move going to, how is it going to set me up for this and this and this, right? But if you can just focus on the right next move, it allows you to think, frankly, in some very realistic terms. Mm. So I was talking to, to a friend of mine who was in the middle of a job hunt when COVID hit. And so he still was in the middle of a, of a job hunt, you know, and now, but now in COVID. Mm. And we were talking about a couple of opportunities that were in front of him. And he was saying, oh, you know, but I really had wanted an opportunity that included this giving back, or I really wanted an opportunity that was going to allow me to travel more. I really, and it was like, okay, those are all fine. But what you have to do right now is just think about what is the right next opportunity given everything that is true today. Mm. Doesn't mean that you won't have a job in the future that is travel or has high give back components, but just what is the right move next? And he said, well, you know, I've got this one opportunity that happens to be local. It builds on skills that I already have. It would expose me to some things I haven't done before like this, and it's available to me. And I'm like, does that feel like a right next move? And he's like, absolutely. I can't think of a reason it wouldn't be a right next move. And so just to think about next and to see that a role can give you opportunities to grow, contribute, and then there will be an opportunity for next once we're on the out other side of this, right? And then you can ask that next question again, like, okay, now that we're past the pandemic and jobs are opening up, and now, frankly, I have some new experiences, what's the right next move for me now? And frankly, the interim, what maybe you thought was an interim role or just a necessity role could still be a power move because it still could expose you to new people, expose you to new skills, give you things to talk about you didn't have before. And so it still is now a new launch place that can be pretty powerful. I have to say too, when we think about our careers, what we need to be able to do is tell a cogent story about the moves that we've made. And so if we're able to say, I started in my career doing this, and while I was in this role, what I learned about myself was I enjoyed this, but I didn't enjoy that. And so in my next role, I was looking to amplify the parts I liked, take on some new things so I could learn about them, but move away from the parts I didn't like. 
right? And to be able to continuously knit together this story. And when we knit together these stories, it's okay for us also to be honest and be able to say, here's what I was doing, here's what I was building, and then the pandemic hit. And at that point, I took this job because it allowed me to create stability, it allowed me to do this, and in the process allowed me to grow in these ways. And then as soon as we came out of the pandemic, I now was looking for X. And if you can tell that cogent story, everybody's going to understand. We've mm. all been going through this. Mm. So, you know, we don't have to apologize about these, you know, kind of what may feel like an interim move, but at the same time, a next move can be a power move. And so that's how I would recommend thinking about it. What I love about that is fantastically pragmatic foil to what you were sharing earlier, this idea of the, the curvy career, because I mean, it just highlights how this the sense of the curvy career is not about just abandoning yourself to fate and just kind of following the winds as they come and go. It's about taking direct, personal, actionable steps, but in a space where you hold everything lightly and allow yourself to flex and flow with literally unpredictable and ungovernable events, you know, that are greater than you, like COVID, for example. So there's that beautiful sense of being able to flex with your own evolution, but also be in control of it, to be the one who is the custodian of your own fate. I think what you're saying is so important. If somebody just approaches this as, okay, so my career can be random and willy-nilly, they will actually find that other people aren't going to understand that randomness and as a result, won't give them quite as many opportunities, at least progressive opportunities. You know, mm. they'll almost find themselves stuck in a bunch of entry-level roles. We can't expect hiring managers or recruiters to knit together the cogent story. So we might look at a job posting and say, I am the perfect candidate for that because I've got this experience over here. And then I did this other very different experience, right? You know, I did some finance things over here and I did some coding and product development things over here. And this makes me the perfect person for this company that is looking for, you know, somebody who's got finance and technology, right? Well, you actually have to be the one to knit those together. Don't expect a recruiter or a hiring manager to do it. Mm -hmm. And if you can tell though that story and take that control, it absolutely is a power move. And so draw those connections for people and show them how these moves make you unique, make you strong. You know, there's nobody else who has the exact background of experience that you have and tell the power story about how those skills and how those experiences make you an asset to the organization you're, you're looking to join. Mm. So I'm, I'm sure this is striking a strong chord with many people listening to this today, Beth. And I mean, not just people in a position of looking for a different career opportunity or part of a different path, but even those already working in the human and talent sides of the business in learning and development, trying to support people in their own development, even just in dealing with what's going on right now. Yes. Do, do you think this is, you know, the times we're in have sort of accelerated the realization of the fact that we no longer live in binary linear career paths. I mean, there has been a conversation about this growing over the last few years and how many careers swaps there'll be over the course of a standard career, et cetera, et cetera. But we're experiencing the reality of it right now, aren't we? And so how do you see this affecting the way HR and L&D operate within traditional organizations? What I like to say to HR and L&D, but frankly, it could apply to any field, 
is oftentimes we are so beholden to the past. And so what we'll do is we'll say something like learning, training started off as a classroom. And so, but now we have technology. So now we'll put our class online and we just kind of do a, you know, single, uh, we'll use evolution, right? We do a single evolution. And then we're like, oh, now it's online. We'll add polling, right? And we keep doing this like Frankenstein, adding on features, using the classroom as the base. And what I like to do instead is go back to the beginning and basically say, ask this question, say, if L&D were created today, what would it look like? If it had never existed before, if 2020 in the middle of a pandemic was the first time people started to talk about learning and development, what would it look like? <laughs> and when you start from this today, you wouldn't start with a classroom, right? You would start with well, let's see, people are distributed, they're dispersed, they are busy with a lot of things, both professionally and in their personal lives. You know, learning becomes something they're going to do in addition to or while doing all those other things. People are using technology. They're comfortable with this technology. There's no learning curve related to it. How do we design learning with all of these things in mind? And we're going to come up with a really fantastic answer to that question. But then, of course, we have to ask that question again next year and the year after. And I would say the same question for HR, right? If human resources were created today, what would it look like? And start there and ask those questions. And some of it may look the same. Uh, you know, there may still be some pieces where we're going to say, you know, some fundamentals may not change. But how we deliver against those fundamentals will be fundamentally different. And so that's that question, right? If my field were invented today, what would it look like? One of the things too, I, I just, I'm thinking about my, my time at Tesla. When we were getting ready to introduce the first Model S to customers, we opened up the factory so people could come and tour the factory. And up on the walls for customers was this phrase. And it said, your Model S started with a blank slate and the challenge to rethink everything. And that was very much Tesla's mindset was that nothing was sacred. You could rethink everything. And the cost of that, frankly, is zero, right? Rethinking doesn't cost you anything. Mm -hmm. And when you then start to think like, oh, wow, what kinds of possibilities? What are all these things we've taken for granted that we can you know, rethink? So if we adopt that same kind of thinking into everything we're doing, it just creates possibilities that are modern and fresh and current and real, that relevant, that I think can just be far more impactful than doing the same old, same old. Mm. I love that that idea of just rethinking everything, talking about Tesla there and talking about it in a sort of a design perspective and organizational perspective. But, you know, it applies all the way down to the individual as well, doesn't it? I mean, if you apply that to yourself, what if I was to rethink everything? Sure, that may not give you the direction that you necessarily want to take because it's not always about letting go of everything and, and starting something new. But sometimes that level of novelty gives you something that you wouldn't have seen before in terms of opportunity, doesn't it? It does. And and going back to the idea of people being stuck, one of the things that I've seen is that many people are stuck in their careers or start to have that feeling of stuck when they start to say, I know what everybody else has told me all my life about what I should do or what I should be, but now I kind of know a lot more about myself and what I want to do and what I want to be. And they end up sort of feeling stuck because there's this dissonance between what I've been told I should do and what I now want to do. 
I think this is very common, late 20s, early 30s, you know, that people do this. I remember for myself when I turned 35, I probably spent the entire year that I was 35 walking around going, I'm 35. I know what I like and don't like, and it's okay if I don't do this anymore. But I think, you know, so it's common for us to have that time where we start to recognize more of what it is that we want to be doing and how do we give ourselves, you know, that permission to do it and to be the person that's more authentically us. So I love that, love that phrase there, give ourselves permission to, you know, to, to kind of tune into that. I mean, you, you started this with your own personal story. And what stood out for me was the sense of an inner voice that you were able to tune into when you decided to leave corporate learning and you decided, well, what am I going to do with everything that I've acquired in terms of skills and abilities and capacities? And you, you spoke about how you sort of listened to that part of yourself that said you're about developing the individual, de- developing the individual. Do you think that's something that everyone has? I mean, I'm not convinced it's something that everyone, well, I think it's something everyone has, but whether someone can always hear that voice, is it, do you think, a case of not having that voice, I suppose, to use a, to use a term, or is it just not having the right tools to listen to it? I almost, again, want to use the word permission, right? Are we giving ourselves permission to, mm. to listen to that voice, or do we feel like, you know, there are others in our lives that we love and respect, or maybe love or respect, uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, we want to, we want to listen to, you know, to what they said, whether it's a mentor or a parent or, you know, anything like that. So I think sometimes we have to have permission, you know, to listen to the voice. There's a piece though, too, of what you're talking about, which I think is really important to talk about, which is this idea of like, what is my purpose or what is my passion? And one of the most common things I've seen people do is say to a young child, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, you're talking to somebody who's their, you know, their life and their perspective is so limited, right? You know, they know their doctor, they know their trash person, they know their male person. And you're asking, like, they don't know that there are mechanical engineers out doing XYZ or chemical engineers or people in manufacturing, all of these different, you know, there's a whole host of jobs they have no exposure to. So I think it's a real disservice because we start to almost create anxiety early on that you're supposed to know this. I think another kind of disservice we do is that when we're trying to help people find their jobs and we say to them, well, what were you passionate about as a child? As if that's the magical unlocking question. (laughs) Because I think there's a lot of us who are passionate about children of like, we were passionate about playing and being with our friends and we don't find the answer there. So again, we start to feel like we're, maybe we're broken. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to some people on my podcast who are incredibly successful, incredibly accomplished and I almost would seem like, boy, for as deep as you are into the work you're doing, you must have been passionate about this as a child. And instead, the most common answer I get when I ask a question, like, when did you discover this passion? Is they'll say, when I started doing the work. I started doing the work. I learned that I really liked it. And so there's a part of, if we put together all these different things that we've been talking about, go for next. What feels like the right next move? Stop, ask yourself a question. What am I enjoying about this? What do I like about it? What don't I like about it? That's the question that gives you the inner voice. I like that I get to interact with people this way. I like that I get to contribute that way. I don't like that I have to deal with this. I don't like that I have to deal with X. That's the inner voice. And then it becomes, okay, now make your next move that puts that together. And along the way, you may go, not only do I like this, but I'm actually really enjoying it. And it feels right now like it's a passion. And I said right now very deliberately because it's also okay for us to have a passion right now 
that then gets old and stale and we find a next passion. So that, you know, this voice comes from just periodically pausing and, you know, and saying, who am I? What's going on? How do I feel? What's exciting me? What's motivating me? And how can I use that information to craft my next move? I love that, Beth. I mean, you use, use the word permission there so well. And you know, other words that came up as you were speaking was the sense of forgiveness, you know, uh, forgiving yourself and accepting yourself for, you know, decisions you've made or things that may contribute that, that you're not particularly proud of yourself for, or, you know, whatever that may be. And then, and then also the, that letting go, you know, when you, when you say, oh, I love that idea of having, I suppose it goes back to that sense of that evolutionary mindset, you know, letting go of the idea that I am this person passionate about this thing and looking back over your life and forward into your life and realizing that the sense of passion is a movement, you know, um, you know, it changes shape as you do and, and allow that evolution to take place. So, I mean, beautifully put. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so glad you connected it back to evolutionary mindset because as you were as you were recapping some of the things we talked about, I'm here too saying, yes, this is all about the evolution. And when we take that mindset and we're just able to, it allows us to let go of those things that aren't working for us anymore in ways that are more accepting because when you're just, you're evolving. And so it's okay when you're evolving to let go of things that are no longer working and move into the things that are and take advantage of the new opportunities and recognize that something like podcasting exists now when it didn't exist 20 years ago and allow yourself to evolve into it. That's what's going to allow you to take advantage of the opportunities that are coming 20 years from now that we can't name today. Mm. So those opportunities, you know, once once we see past the, the initial challenges, those opportunities in the world that we're living in seem to be growing in number and spread. The world's just smaller. Geographically, we have access to different parts of the world that we never used to. We're able to learn and upskill and reskill ourselves far easier than we used to be able to 10, 15 years ago. So making those decisions now and into the future can be overwhelming to a certain degree. And I think you've, you've offered some really helpful tips on how to make those decisions about where to focus. Just one final question about, you know, the direction for self-development as people move in, into the future of work. In that availability of, of self-education and self-improvement, etc., do people run the risk of trying to become experts at a number of things or too many things? Or do people just get too excited by the number of opportunities? You know, once you step onto some learning platform and you can basically apparently become a master at, at basically anything in the world. You know, so you've made a good point about choosing some direction in what you want to do. Once you actually decide where you want to go, what, what, what do you suggest in terms of method of actually applying that? Yeah, we're in such an exciting time because there are so many different learning opportunities available to us. Uh, you know, from traditional education and going after a degree to, you know, taking an, an online course. And there's plenty of low cost or free online courses. And it's another great way to learn what you're interested in and what you're excited about, which is to take, you know, a range of courses, to look at a course and say, this is interesting to me, I'm going to learn about it, or people around me are talking about this, it would help me to know a little bit more about this and take a course. But at the same time, we can't confuse taking a series of introductory courses with becoming an expert. And so at certain points, it is wise for us to also say, if I really want to pursue this thing, I need some depth. And so for those depth things, again, there still are plenty of online resources, free resources, but there also may be some degrees, but you may need to say for this particular interest, 
I am going to go deep. I can't go shallow on everything. I'm going to go deep and almost become your own academic advisor and put together a curriculum you know, you know, that says, I'm going to start with this course because it's going to give me the baseline and then I'm going to go deeper with this and deeper with that and really start to develop some more expertise. So, so there is a risk that we become kind of a, you know, a little bit wise about everything, but not a master of anything. Gets a mastery as well. <laughs> and then finally, Beth, I mean, in terms of, you know, for learning and development professionals whose roles are changing quite rapidly from, from our point of view in, in the current climate, and if we look at the future of work, in terms of making choices about that relationship with members of the workforce, with employees, with the, the humans in their organization and how to develop them. What do you see as the kind of the key responsibility of the L&D executive of the future? Again, it's going to go to the, uh, this idea of evolution, which is, I know a lot of people talk about lifelong learning and how can we become lifelong learners. I really believe lifelong learning is a means to an end. And the end is lifelong employability or at least kind of employability for as long as we want to be employed. Maybe we want to retire at some point. And what I would say there is how can L&D, and this again is going to be influenced by my passion for the individual, but how can L&D support people on their journeys to lifelong employability, you know, inside my company or maybe even outside the company? So how do we create learning platforms? How do we create resources? How do we create opportunities that allow people to essentially continue to evolve so that they can have lifelong employability. Fantastic finish. Beth Davies, thank you so much. It has been my absolute pleasure, Bevan. You and I have had a chance to talk a couple of times and every time I feel like my mind is stretched. And so thank you for being one of those foils that can just make me think in new ways. And, and I've just really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. I feel exactly the same way. Thank you, Beth. Great to chat again. Thank you for listening. For more information about our guests or the resources shared in this podcast, please check the notes section of your podcast player. If you'd like to hear more from Learning Rewired, please subscribe. Until next time, I'm your host, Bevan Rees.